Greetings. This episode marks the end of year two for Broken Boxes podcast. What an incredible journey it has been so far. Thank you to all the people around the world who tune in. Thank you to all that have written in letting me know that this dialogue has been helpful in your own personal journey as artist and as human. And a massive thank you to all the artists who have taken time to share their stories in this real way. I appreciate you. In this episode, we get into conversation with artist Micah Blacklight. The most recent project Micah has created, and which we talk thoroughly about in this podcast, is his erotic novel titled Cult of the Serpentari, an explicit, graphically illustrated, character and plot-driven erotic fantasy. Micah wrote this work knowing it would be released one chapter at a time over the course of 24 months as ebook chapters, knowing it would then be released in its entirety as a full body of work, and this absolutely affected how Micah chose to navigate telling the story and the amount of sex that was included. And with that, I wanted to let you know that the content of our conversation may be considered explicit to some listeners as we talk about sex in an uncensored way. You can find Cult of the Serpentari on Amazon, Elora's Cave, and Barnes & Noble, all linked in the blog www.brokenboxespodcast.com. So, without further ado, here's the conversation with Micah Blacklight. girls, gems, germs, aliens, others, non-psychopaths, and slightly tilted people. My name is Micah Blacklight, and I am human, slightly, mostly, kind of, sort of, um, an alien, angel, hybrid, creator, person. I'm an all-around artist, author, activist, artivist, thinker, communicator, self-proclaimed badass, unapologetic Papa, partner, and a whole bunch of other things. Oh, fashion designer. Yeah, lots of stuff. Um, and I'm super, super excited to be here with Ginger. About to yap my brains off about one of my favoriteest subjects in the whole planet. Me. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I hope y'all are here for the ride. And I, uh, I welcome all of you to uh, this 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 unpacking of thought when people ask you what do you do uh what do you answer that happens to be one of my favoriteest questions um because in this world in this society we've created what do you do is a a question that generally speaking you're supposed to answer with what do you do as a job right um i've taken to answering with two words a lot that's my answer when people ask, what do you do? A lot, because it feels hella good, number one. Um, and it gives them an opportunity 
to to gauge whether or not they want to go in right so like um if if i see that they're they they want a little bit more of an answer then i can give them the full spiel and if not then they can just be like oh you're an, you're an artist Did I, yes I'm, I'm that i'm that all-around art guy but for the people who want a little more um oh, i'm basically <laughs> <laughs> i'm basically like uh i have been gifted this time around this lifetime i've been gifted with a whole lot of passions but more importantly the ability to manifest in all the realms that i'm passionate in so i am an illustrator artist dancer fashion designer author motivational speaker empowerment coach um singer vocalist performance poet and i think that almost maybe possibly covers all of it and if i forget anything then i'll bring it up later on in the conversation but yeah that's generally speaking that's kind of like the answer and then any like any curiosity on any part of that then i'll just go into deeper and then you um you also are writing or you're writing more you've done a novel recently correct an erotic novel yes I, I did. I want to talk about that. Can you break that down for me? <laughs> that would be a hell yes. <clears throat> Heaven yes for all of you people who don't like the word hell in sentences. I apologize. Okay, so the it is an erotic fantasy adventure novel. Um, the title is Cult of the Serpentari. Uh, and I am so happy i am so psyched i am so incredibly excited about this project because it is my first novel but it is the first of many for real absolutely for me this was just like a a, a foot in the door um i don't know if the publishers knew <laughs> that they were dealing with a, a fountain a freaking volcano but that's what they're getting so um cult of the serpentari is a number of things masquerading as a book that's that's kind of how i think of it like um one of the ways i describe it is it is an autonomous farmer <laughs> and anyone who reads the book is the field that it's tilling hmm. i'm planting seeds i didn't just choose to write a novel i didn't just choose to write a book i chose to write a catalyst, I wrote a seed. What I intend to do with this book and the, and the works to follow it is to transform the predominant, or to aid at least, in the transformation of the predominant conversations and perceptions surrounding sex, sexuality, sensuality, uh, depictions of it, porn versus erotica, like all of that in our world. And, and starting with the individual people who read the book and then going on to like states and this country and then going on to, you know, accessing the global conversation that's, that's in the world. Um, mm -hmm. So pulling down from that loftiness, right. Um, it is a novel about, it's kind of like a coming of age story. Uh, the principal character's name is Kathik and it's basically about a young man who sets out to do one thing he's got certain intentions he's got certain motivations he sets out to like create glory for himself and and that goes like all sorts of not the way he expected it to go <laughs> <laughs> and the resulting i guess the rest of the book is basically about 
the result of this one experience that goes completely differently from from the way he intended. And for me, it's the book itself also serves as a vehicle, right? So so it's sex, first and foremost, right? There's a ton of sex in the book. And generally speaking, in our world, uh, sex in books is is still, even with the success of, you know, the, the, the Fifty Shades of Grey series or whatever, sex in, in our regular literature is still a thing that many, many, many people are like, oh, I can't let you know I'm reading this, or oh, I got to sneak it, or oh, whatever, whatever. And part of Part of what I wanted to address with this book is bringing sex and sensuality to the stories that we would otherwise read. Like the sex is in the books that we read anyway. It's it's a part of the conversations. It's a part of our favorite characters, our James Bonds and our all these other people. Um, they James Bond, I totally can't mess with anymore because the misogyny is killing me right now. But that's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> I used to love James Bond, and then I went. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Tangent. Tangent. Okay. But it's like it's crazy because the one thing I've always wanted, like always, 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 in my literature, in my movies, in my everything, what I've always wanted was the same level of story, good stories, good characters, stuff that I was really, really interested in, adventure, magic, all that. But I just wanted them to include the sex. I, is that so much to ask? Where, where you know, so I, you have like scenes in, in multitudes of books, video games, you know, like for 15 year olds can go out and get a video game that where you can blast somebody's head off. You can shoot him multiple ways. You can stab him. You can fight zombies, all this stuff. But if you were to see a naked breast, a nipple, oh my God, call off Christmas and freaking <laughs> fire the world and call in the parental groups and the diets. Insane. It's insane. And I feel like Part of what I wanted to do with this book was start out with a really good story that I think is a really good story and good character development and and fun and exciting excitement, but just just like surrounded by and interspersed within really good sex. Just, but I mean, really good. Like, so so the other part is there's a whole lot of erotica out. There's a ton of erotica out, but is it any? Good. <laughs> do, you, do, do you like it? Does it actually turn you on? Is it exciting? And for me, I, I feel like it's um, it's a crapshoot. It's always been a crapshoot. You know, like I, I I can't think of any. Mm, yeah, really, I can't really think of anything that I've been exposed to uh, before the age of thirty five or whatever, where I could count on really good erotica. Like nothing. You know, I I, I could I could look through the anthologies and like one out of every 12 stories was enough to be like, oh, this is nice. Yeah, you know I mean, but you have to go through freaking 11, the ones that weren't so nice first. <laughs> so all of that is to say that with this book, I have, I feel like I've addressed that rift, that gap. I've created the kinds of fiction I wanted to see. I've, I've done a story that is an actual story and I've loaded it up with tons of sex, but not just any sex. It's also the kind of sex that I want to see. And what I mean by that is I feel like, okay, this is, this is about to get into a really interesting part of the conversation because this is a wider conversation for me, right? Um, the depictions of sex and sexuality in our culture are very interesting. And 
negatively interesting to me, uh, particularly because, number one, women almost always get the short end of the stick. In that happening, men get degraded. They just don't realize they're being degraded. Um, they, you, you, we can start with the simplest stuff. It's, it's all worldwide, this is known, right? Virgins are equated with purity. The minute that they have, have had sex, they're no longer pure. And it's not just the minute they've had sex, it's the minute they've had sex with a male, the minute they've been penetrated. So what nobody ever asks is what is that saying about the penis? What, <laughs> what, what is that saying about us, yo? Like for real? Are we are we that dis are we are we dirty are we ah oh, I can't even yeah anyway I guess <laughs> that makes no sense to me right so so it's some something that nobody you know virgins pure da, 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 da. and why why is it that an that a person who's never had sex is pure what does that even mean does that mean that sex is a anyway so that's a whole other conversation but I just wanted to broach it here because it it will allow some of the people listening hopefully to number one just ask that start asking questions of themselves like that. But number two, just to recognize some of where I'm coming from in my thought process, right? So so you have the whole tainted thing, and then you have this culture that's built up around it, this bitch, this slut, this whore, this dirty whore, this, this uh, right? So I, I understand the concept, like, because in this culture, it's the thing of you're supposed to be not quite chaste, like not anymore. You know, it used to be chaste. Oh, I never, whatever. Now, you know, sexy is okay da, 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 to a certain degree, but you still don't want to be quote unquote a slut, right? You still don't want to be the person who's got numbers under their belt. But the point is everybody got here via sex. That's how everybody got here. Right? <laughs> the very few exceptions, the test, what they call the test tube babies, even them got here via orgasm. Okay, everybody. That's the whole. That's that's how we got here. But in our society and in the world, or a chunk of the world that we get exposed to, you're supposed to like want it but not want it. You're supposed to be interested, but not really be interested. You're supposed to hide it. You're supposed to, oh, I only under certain circumstances and in the privacy, whatever. So it trips you out because there's the whole fantasy of a woman who's like, you know, chased or, or, or trying to be fine or, or regular. And then she gets corrupted, right? You know what I mean? And all of a sudden <laughs> she's really loving the sex and she's, she's a dirty little whore in secret. And it's like, um okay, number one, you have all these negative connotations with whore, right? You have all these negative connotations with slut and with and with bitch. And bitch is a whole nother conversation unto itself. There is no male equivalent for any of those things. There's no male equivalent for bitch. There's no male, male equivalent for dirty little whore. There isn't a thing you can call a male that has the same implications or impact. But we've created it such that even in the porn industry, the one place where women are, you know, in the porn industry, the porn industry being supposedly the one place where women are freed up to just be like, yo, I'll be that slut. Fuck it. Let's go. Yay. You know, even there, they're all bitch, slut, whore, but they're just, they're just embracing it. They're like, yes, I'm a dirty little whore. But the point is, no, you're a person who really loves sex and there's zero wrong with that. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Zero. So there's this, this innate degradation. There's this subversive this, 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 it's something that I feel like is insidious because so many women who feel um, empowered sexually, specifically, especially the ones that are like beyond empowered sexually, the ones who are just like, yes, I have a lot of sex and I like it. So what, you know, they have 
it's almost like they've been taught to think of themselves a certain way. And even if they don't find fault with calling themselves slut or dirty bitch or whatever, right? You're within the, the, the larger conversation that they exist within. It's not within a vacuum, right? So within that larger conversation, there's a whole bunch of dudes who are being taught to view women in a very specific, very derogatory light, even like almost to the point where men will be like, this is something I would do with a slut. I wouldn't do this with my wife. This is something I would do on a date, but I wouldn't do this with the person I'm going to spend my life with. Yeah, you know I mean, like it's, they separate that and there's just so much disgustingness that goes into that. So all of that, pulling back out of that, all of that is to say within this book, you won't find that kind of sex. That <laughs> was the super long way of saying, that's not what I'm writing. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm, like, I'm addressing it in a, in a very different way. I don't need to be super woo-woo and sex must always be this amazing, because it's not. It's not. Sometimes sex is raw and raunchy and fucking and amazing. And sometimes you're making love and sometimes you do both and, and whatever. But for me, uh, another piece, uh, a chip on the shoulder thing that I've had is that like fantasy, the, the genre of fantasy, right? The name itself implies that you're making it up. It's fantasy, right? Okay. So why is it? That so much fantasy contains the exact same tropes, the same predominant propagation of, of stereotyping and, and the stuff that's not even stereotyping because it's, it's, so, it's so pervasive that it's become reality, right? Like the, <laughs> the exact same stuff just in, on a bunch of different worlds, dude. Like the women are always in the same place. And, and sometimes you have these super powerful women that are by themselves the, proving the exception to the rule and you have Amazons and, da, 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 and it's just, oh my God, whatever. So all of that is again, like that's not the way I've written. So I've chosen to write in a way that will engage the folk like me who've always read fantasy and stuff. And so they'll recognize a bunch of pieces. It's not like I'm throwing you into a, mm, I actually am throwing you into an alien world because I totally made it up. But you'll, the, the things that are some of the energetic dynamics that you'll see, you will recognize and then I start to tweak them. <laughs> I, start, <laughs> I start to change them. And so my, my biggest thing with this book is that it's a twofold piece. It's, it's one is that I get to address my issues with, my pet peeves with the world, the fantasy worlds and their, and their, their same energetic dynamics and gender dynamics and sexual relation dynamics and lack of sex. I get to put... I get to address all of that, and I also get to slide in a bunch of stuff that nobody's necessarily going to see coming. The, the stuff that's under the radar, the fact that like the main characters are both brown-skinned people. Oh, wow. How about that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, and that, 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 for a lot of people, the way I wrote the book, that doesn't, that's not a thing. Who cares? That's not the point. You know what I mean? I didn't make. I didn't write it to be like black. We are going to have black characters, and they're going to be in a black world, and everybody's going to be black. No, man. No, no. Because <laughs> I'm not interested in a world entirely populated by black people. That's not. You know, that's okay. That's fine. But I'm. I love diversity. 
like our world is a diverse place. That's what makes it amazing. The things that one of the things that makes it amazing. So I didn't write it to be like, I am purposely going to make it. But, but if you are a reader of fantasy, then you know that if you start reading a character in any book that doesn't specifically say black, blah, 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 you automatically assume the main character's white. You just do. And you will 99% of the time be right. Why is that? I don't know. I don't care. I'm aiming to fix it. <laughs> or at least address it. You know what I mean? So there's a bunch of small things that, that aren't small. You know, the, the main characters, the way they look, um, so the way some of the characters speak. There's like points. There's specific points that I wanted to, to touch, to unpack, to check, to to make sure I had addressed. And there's so many things that I wanted to put in here. But... I also didn't, you know, I, I can't flood it, right? So I, I slid them in where I felt like they were, they would, they would work, they would fit. So gender dynamics is one. Um, I don't write, hmm, how can I put it? I do write. I write powerful women characters, period. I am not interested in writing super weak, meek female characters unless there's an arc where at the end of that arc they're not that anymore like that's, that's my, <laughs> and it's not to say every woman should be but i just feel like fantasy is populated with a ton of those women that's already been done i don't need to address that that's fine they're in there and then you know there will definitely be some women like that showing up in my fiction because i can't i mean i could but i won't people the in the world entirely with super strong badass women but <laughs> but you will find quite a few badass female characters. Like, badass. Like, yes, please, more of you, please, thank you, please. Like, yeah. <laughs> because that feels good to me. That feels amazing to me. And I like writing them. I like seeing them. I like meeting them. I'm married to one or unmarried to one. I call her my unmarried wife. That's another story. Um, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's really, really cool. So, you know, addressing that, I've addressed gender dynamics in terms of, the, and, and sexual dynamics, right? Because there's relationship dynamics. And that is really cool to me as well, because we have, you know, this society and this, it seems like a chunk of the world has, sort of espoused the notion of monogamy as the default and natural, quote-unquote, way that humans were meant to be and that's the way we automatically are. And I actually find that hilarious because it seems to me that if you look at, you know, if you want to do stats, right, statistics can be, it seems like they can be bent to show any kind of truth for anything you want to show. But, but there's some statistics that just kind of, they, they, they tend to speak for themselves. So if you just look at the amount of songs, as opposed to going for the statistics for people who break up and divorces, scratch that. Look at your music. Look at your pop culture. Look at the amount of songs in every single culture you will ever be exposed to <laughs> <laughs> that talk about cuckolds, some dude cheating, some woman cheating, somebody behind their back, blah, blah, blah. Like the amount of seductions and, and I wish I could, but I can't. And I wish I could, so I did. And I wish I hadn't. And will you please take me back because I did this thing. If you look at the amount of songs and poems and stories, books, everything, that speak to cheating I think it's hilarious that you would ever make the case that monogamy is the natural way of being <laughs> <laughs>
Now, I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of people that are 100% happy in monogamous relationships. I'm not saying that at all. I happen to be in a monogamous relationship and I'm fine. That being said, there's a ton of people who aren't fine. There's a ton of people who wish, wish with all their heart and souls for a different paradigm, but they've been taught that they're wrong for wishing that. They're wrong for even wanting something other. They're immature, they're young, they're going through a phase, they're all these bullshit, whatever, that that basically serve to denigrate, to, to, to cage, to lock us into the notion that we need to be in this kind of relationship. And for me, that simply doesn't work, primarily because there's too many people. It's that simple. One remedy cannot possibly be okay for that many people. It doesn't work. Nothing, no one thing works for every single person. Any parent will tell you that. The, the thing that works for one child will not work for the next child. Period. Like that's just a fact of life. And that's because we're these things called individuals. And there are some things that are kind of constant, i.e., you know, if you break a limb, nine times out of ten, it'll hurt, right? That's that's a, a, a tends to be a constant. Although recently I met somebody who broke a limb and it didn't hurt. So whatever. The point is. Um <laughs> but in terms of relationship paradigms, like, and here's another thing. Even if you choose to be monogamous, what kind of parameters you choose do not have to look like the same parameters as somebody else is choosing. Like your version of monogamy doesn't have to look like somebody else's. Case in point, there are couples who are allowed to kiss other people. They are 100% devoted to their partner. They are absolutely, absolutely not willing to have sex with anybody. They're not looking to be swingers, none of that. But every now and then, one of them will kiss somebody else and they'll go back and tell their partner. And their partner will be like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Was it fun? What did you look like? What does she look like? Blah, blah, blah. And for some people, that's like miles outside of their reckoning. They're like, what? That... But, but I'll tell you, there's people who go way further than that. <laughs> Those are no longer monogamous people. But you can be energetically monogamous. You can be physically monogamous. You can just, you know, you can be completely polyamorous, but thoroughly devoted to your partner. All I'm saying is that there's a ton of different paradigms. There's a bunch of different ways that relationships can look. And I'm not calling myself an expert. What I am saying is that I am willing to look at alternative paradigms. And I think most people should be too. Unless you are 100%, one of those people who's 100% sure that monogamy is you, then you should be looking at other possibilities. And you might not know other possibilities exist. So another thing I got to sneak into this book is other possibilities. So a huge chunk, a huge component that I haven't mentioned yet is that I basically coined my own genre, right? The name of the genre is Fantasensua with an F, Fantasensua. The definition is explicit, graphically illustrated, character and plot driven erotic fantasy. That is Fantasensua. Now, the, the key piece that you may have heard in that is 
illustrated. So this book is illustrated. It's not a graphic novel, but it's a very graphic novel. <laughs> I love saying that. It makes me so happy. <laughs> so there are 24 chapters in this book. And and when I say chapters, I mean full chapters because I you know I when I first started doing this book, I started doing a little bit of research. Well, when I first finished the book, actually, I started doing a little research online in terms of erotica and ebooks and all this stuff. And I found that a bunch of I, I want to say books masquerading as books, a bunch of writings masquerading as books are hella short. Like, hella short, man. They're like, you know, read my next chapter. And the chapter's like three pages, maybe four. And then you switch. What? what do you, no, stop it. Anyway, so <laughs> so, so I, have a cha- I have chapters. It's a full book. The book is like 340-something pages, 350. Um, and there are – it's 24 chapters, and there are 43 full-color illustrations in this book. 43. That's a lot of work. Dang. That's a lot of work. That was, that was a lot of work. That's a yeah. lot of work. And I mean, you were t- you were saying in the beginning that you're a poet. And so is this like the most you've ever sat down and actually like wrote? And what was the process like? Did you handwrite it? Did you do computer? Like what what was that like? I love your questions. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I'm a writer. I'm an artist first because I started drawing when I was three and a half or four. Um, but I am absolutely a writer next. And, and now I'd almost say I'm, I'm a writer first because I absolutely love writing. Um, just love it. So when it came to this, yes, this is absolutely the most, this is the most anything I've ever done for anything. This is the most art. This is the most writing. This is the everything, like all wow. of it. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fountain. Okay, I call myself an inspiration engine. And just the reason I said that is because this is one of four worlds. Like the world that you go to in this particular book is called Enas. And shut up. I know I named it. And then I realized later what it sounded like. And I was like, oh, God. Anyway, but um, right. This is one of four worlds in my head. And and some of the other worlds, one in particular, is super more developed than this one. So basically, I've been, for years, I've just been telling people, talking about these worlds in my head. And I've been talking about different concepts within them and, and just all, you know, and, and, and over and over again. I've, I've written, like, I have tons and tons of hard copy notes that are all about these worlds. And I have tons of, of digital notes that are all about these worlds. But the book was the first time that I got to to actualize it. Like, that's one of the reasons it feels so good to me because I've been talking about it for years and years and finally I get to say, remember that thing? Remember that, that, that thing that I was talking to you about? That one with the da 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 Read, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> that feels so good to me. So my process with it was, um, I've had a, a literary agent for like 10 years, 13 years now, and she kind of fell into my lap. I fell into hers. I don't know. I, I'm... Illustrator, like I said, I had done an album cover for an underground black rock badass named Shelly Nicole. Shout out to Shelly Nicole and the Black Bush. And uh, she had a, a album release party, and my agent happened to be there, and, and she saw the album cover, and she's like, you did the cover? And I was like, yeah. She's like, have you ever thought about doing children's book illustration? And I was like, no. And, and so she was like, it's like, maybe you should. And so she basically 
became my agent because she wanted me to be one of her artists for children's book illustration. Cause at the time that was like the bulk of her, of her um, authors. But I was at that time, I was one of the laziest people I knew. And so <laughs> <laughs> I gave her like nothing for close to 10 years, whatever. So the, the shortened version of that is that finally one day I woke up and I kind of had a, a, my version of a midlife crisis wherein I quit my job um, in 2010 and I was working at Polo, uh, Polo Ralph Lauren as in the women's graphics department as a graphic designer. And I quit my job and everybody was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I got to do my art, dude. Like I have to, I have to do my art. So I quit my job and six months later, me and my lady had our first and only fashion show, uh, interactive art, fashion. It's, it's, we, we basically created a, a enigma, what I call an enigma company called Black Snow. And blacksnow.nyc, yeah. Anyway, and we, <laughs> we, you know, and it was couture. It's all couture. But she had her paintings up and I had my drawings up. And, and we had performance art in the middle of the modeling. Like one of the models was singing. It was beautiful. Like it was really, really sick. But I expected up until that point, I had been planning my life, and I purposely didn't make any plans beyond the show because I was like, I'm going to wait for the universe to show me what's popping. And everything went exactly as planned, except instead of making money on the show, we totally went into debt. So <laughs> <laughs> I had a little moment of, ah, what am I, what am I going to do? So I realized that I had been asking myself the wrong questions. I was asking, what am I going to do to make money? And the real question I needed to be asking myself was, what do I want to do? Mm. What is it that I would enjoy doing? And the money would become a sort of byproduct of that. So the thing that came to my mind was creating my worlds. I want to be paid to create my worlds. I want to write. I want to draw. I, I, like, I feel the best when I'm creating my world. So I, I came to my agent and I was like, all right, I'm ready. All bullshit aside, I know I haven't given you anything, whatever, but I'm ready. So what is the protocol? for getting a book deal and what's the protocol for getting a graphic novel deal because I may end up doing both. So tell me. And she was like, well, the first thing you need to do is have a finished manuscript. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that could take a while. Um, so, so, <laughs> that was not, I was wasn't, wasn't planning on that. So um, up to that point, I had a few short stories that I'd written from, from several of my worlds. And my plan then was I went online, I looked at a bunch of spots that accept fiction and pay you for it by the word or by the letter, whatever. And so I was like, okay, my plan is for the next six months to a year, I'm going to write several short stories. I'm going to submit them over and over. Somebody's going to accept me. I will be building a readership. I will be getting a little bit paid. I'll be getting better at writing. At the end of the year, I should have enough to come to you with a finished manuscript. But boom, that's my plan. Okay, that's what I'm going for. So here's a couple of short stories I've already written. I sent them to my to my uh, agent and was like, I know I don't expect you to edit them. I know that's a lot of work, blah, blah, blah. But just let me know if my writing is at the place that I think it is. Like nothing glaring is jumping out at you. Like you really need to fix this, blah, blah. And one of the stories was from this world. And I, I basically based it off of an illustration I had done. And the other one was from another one of my worlds that was super, like a lot more developed, but it didn't have any sex in it. And so I sent both of them and she was like, it may take me two and a half weeks to get back to you. And I was like, that's fine. 
um, and it's Serendipity Literary Agency. Let me give a shout out to her. Uh, Regina, <laughs> Regina. So, so she was like, she was like, um, you know, it may take two and a half weeks to get back to you. I have a lot of authors, but I was like, all right, that's cool. It took her a month and a half to get back to me, and I was like, yo, what? Um, I'm kind of trying to send some stuff out. And when she got back to me, she had been shopping me already. I had no idea. See what I'm saying? So I thought she was just looking over, taking a long time. She turned out she had been shopping me. So she gets back to me and she's like, they're interested in the story. I'm like, they? What are you? What? Who? <laughs> she, was like, <laughs> she was like, can you make it bigger? It's too short. Can you make it longer? I was like, well, yeah, I can make it longer. What do you, but who, what? And they, they want to turn it into a series and this and that and da, 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 da. So basically what we started with was a chapter and we we beefed it up and and sent it in and they and and her assistant whittled it back down to like close to what I had had with just a little bit more and I started seeing the beginning processes of how wild that can be, um, but they sent it in and they loved it except they were like and I specifically remember this it was crazy they were like we think it's beautiful it's beautifully written but not to what they say not to not to dumb it down in flavor. In, in favor of sexing it up, <laughs> but you have a whole lot of, you know, references to member and this and that without explicitly saying dick, cunt, pussy. I was like, oh, 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 oh. I remember reading the email like, oh, my God. Oh, 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 God. And I, I, felt, like, <laughs> I felt like like a like a, a scandalized old grand person or something um, because they were specifically the words that I was trying not to use because I wanted to get to the people who don't necessarily like erotica, who don't necessarily go for that. Like I wanted to be the crossover. I wanted to get all the people right. But they were like, these are the words that our statistics show turn our readers on. So you have to use those words. Sorry. And I was like, it's my heart. I can't wait, 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 you, you want me to use these words? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. I guess I can do that. So I remember typing cock for the first time in my life i had never <laughs> typed that word before <laughs> ever i had never had cause to type that word like ever and i typed it and i sat back and i looked at it and i turned to my lady and i was like i don't think i've ever written that word before it was hilarious it was really hilarious um and now freaking three years later it took me two years to write it and a year to illustrate it and needless to say that word has shown up in my on my typing like a bajillion times now digitally i didn't do any handwriting other than the 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 hard copy notes between scenes because basically i went about it fully haphazard like the truth is i was extremely fortunate in terms of i've i've been a voracious reader since i was four um i read my first novel when i was five uh, i remember graduating to books with no words i was so proud of myself my friends were like i mean with no pictures my friends were like where are the pictures i was like it doesn't have any ha ha I was super stoked. 
And so when, by the time I got to fifth grade, I was reading on the college reading level. And so that's been my world for years and years and years. So I feel like I was extremely fortunate that I am a writer and that I could sort of get away with it because um, I cobbled the novel. Like I made it up as I went along. Like, you know, she had me write out a synopsis of what was going to happen in the five chapters. and I kind of did that. And But uh, the cultures that showed up, entire cultures showed up that weren't there before I started writing the book. Like the main character didn't, like he wasn't supposed to be that way. I was going to freaking, yeah, anyway, it was crazy, like the way it worked out. But I, I did it. I, I cobbled a novel. I, I started, you know, I used to be a super night owl. I'm still a super night owl. But for the time that I was writing the novel, I switched my hours. So I used to stay up till two, three. And the second I started writing the novel, I didn't even give myself a segue. It was just from one day to the next. I switched from staying up mad late to going to bed by 11 and waking up at 7 every morning. And I'd write for the first three hours of the day every day. Like, that's how I did that novel. And it, it started out being the first three hours, and then I was like, I need to do a thousand words. So if if I did a thousand words in less than three hours, great. You know what I mean? But it had to be a thousand words a day. And that was how that was how I pulled it, because it was basically like there's – I counted it so there were 7,000 words per chapter. I forgot how I broke that down, but that's how I broke it down. I was like, there had to be at least 7,000 words per chapter. And if I do a thousand words a day, and I do it every day, then that gives me a chapter a week. Let's go. Boom. You know what I mean? Damn. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I went for it, and um, I was incredibly, incredibly lucky to have a dear, dear friend of mine. Her name is uh, Alex, Alex Webster, Ganey, Oyster Girl. Oh, shout out. She, um, she had experience editing, and she agreed. She, like, totally won't do this for anybody, and I'm just incredibly grateful to her forever. Like, we traded basically a... I get to design a tattoo for her or two, and she edits my entire flipping book. Um, wow. So, yeah, that was insane. But she, you know, she she found out that I was writing one, and she was like, do I get to read it? And I was like, if you're going to edit it. <laughs> and she was more interested in editing it because she she was less interested in reading it after it had already been polished, she wanted to be part of the process, and she friggin' ate me a new. She, oh my goodness, she beat the man. Editors, Whew, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> there were times when I felt like I was fighting my whole. Oh my god, that was. But she was amazing, and and having her in my camp. Uh, being the first person that I sent the chapters to and and chopping it up and telling me why she was chopping it up and what I needed to take out and change this and da 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 like it grew me exponentially as a writer such that by the time our liaison for the publisher they were like you know could you please you know let us see how you're doing like can you send me the first couple chapters da 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 she wrote back later she was like she told my agent she was like I was ready to have all these corrections and stuff. I was ready, you know, because based off the first chapter we had sent them when they were like sexed up and all this, she was like, I was ready to have all these corrections and I, I don't have anything. It was it was great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. like that's how much work my editor had done on me by the time I was ready to submit that I, you know, she was in my head. She didn't even do the entire book. She had to stop after like, like maybe 12 chapters halfway through because life hit her and she had other stuff to do. And, you know, editing takes a long, long time, you know? So 
but I had her in my head by then. I knew her voice is in my head. You know what I mean? So I knew what she'd be telling me, some of it anyway, and like yapping at me and uh, take that out. So like I had my editor in my head and I did the rest of them. And then we submitted it and I, I, I met my, my second deadline. Uh, I felt insanely proud. I like recorded the moment when I hit send. Like <laughs> 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 it's screaming into my iPhone. But that was that's the process. Like that's how that worked out. And I had uh, after I did that, and then it was about the illustration. And I would have people would walk in and be like, you know, what are you working on? Oh, because there was just porn all over my screen. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only place I could find the references for the kinds of poses I needed, Jeremy. Like, where else do you find people having sex? I, I don't know. <laughs> so I just had porn stills all over my screen, like, and, and I'd use them as references for positions, for musculature, for shadows. And yeah, it was crazy. It was really crazy. And it was all digital. Like, I did the, the sketches, the original sketches. I did them on paper, half of them, uh, maybe three quarters. And then I, I did everything else digital uh, on a tool called the Cintiq. It's one of the tools where you can draw directly on the screen. It's amazing. It's like God's gift to digital artists or whatever. But Was that your uh, first yeah. time ever using that tool? It wasn't the first time using the Cintiq, but it was the first time using the, the software I used, a program called Manga Studio, which is normally used to make manga, 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 comics and, and stuff like that, where I took it to a whole nother place and I didn't know I didn't really know how to use it I've done my own comic you know and and I I used it for that but I purposely did like basement level artwork in that comic just because it was an experiment I wanted to start off like really really base and I used it for that the second comic and but that was all I knew like I said it was super basement but my my reasoning was I knew I had 40 plus illustrations because I was I was trying to do two illustrations per chapter it turned out to one to two but whatever um i knew i had 40 plus illustrations to do so i was like by the time i finish by the time i get to the end of this project the learning curve will be such that i will know this software i'll be pretty damn good at it and the gamble worked so i started with software i wasn't even good at and by the time i finished man listen I can do some stuff on Manga Studio, but I'm kind of nice, kind of nice. So what was your family doing during this time, your unmarried wife, your child? Where where did the dynamic, the balance fit into this madness, you know? How, how did you make it all work? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's what I got. Number one, we weren't even pregnant yet when I started. So... In the middle of me writing a book, we chose to get pregnant. (laughs) And I was afraid to tell the publishers because I was afraid they'd be like, oh, you're not going to make it by your by your date, you know, Uh, because we had already pushed the date back a few times or whatever, because I just had no conception of how long it would take me because I didn't get an advance. I'm a brand new author. Yeah, I mean, so it's not like bills weren't paid during this time. So I had to work. Two (laughs) on projects and stuff. So like it was kind of it was nuts for a while. Basically, I just I pushed hella hard. I stayed up, um, not not late because like I said, I'd go to bed early. But two two things worked for us. One was structuring the day, scheduling the day, literally. Like 
we would schedule our fun time, our love time, our, our work time, our cook time, our eat time, schedule like the entire thing, like down to the hours for real. And I feel like that was huge, huge, because without it, you just things just slip. You just slip. Even with it, things can slip. You know what I mean? But but the having a regimented time, like I need this amount of time to do this, you know, and, and the three hours thing in the morning was perfect for me because the minute it was done, that was done. You know, I woke up at seven. So by friggin' noon, I had already done a chunk of work. I'm good. Anything else that gets done that day is great. It's icing on the cake. But the point is, I've already done my duty when it comes to the book. So now I get to do my duty when it comes to everything else. So that's huge. The baby thing was, I finished writing it right around the time, maybe a month or so I'm, I'm trying to remember like specifics but i think i finished writing it before we actually had the baby so i was illustrating it when we had the baby you know what i mean that was where that was where she came in and we took 40 days was it 40 it was something like a solid month we did like a solid month where where we had booked everything out like we weren't doing anything we had saved up money and we just took a solid month and she took no more clients and we were like full time in the bubble with our baby period mm. we barely left the house like we had people you know we had the food train thing going on and that was amazing you know and, and neighbors signed up or whatever so we had people bringing us food and we just didn't have to break that bubble so we got to be parents in the middle of that and i didn't do very much writing during that time um uh, or illustrate, you know, I thought this, so the writing was done. I didn't do any drawing, very much drawing during that time because it was all about just being Papa um, and, and, and husband, you know. So afterwards, uh, it just came down to regimentation because the baby slept so often. You know, I mean, it was brand new. So I got a ton of time to do to do artwork and we would split it up. She she we like the baby slept on my chest the first night of its life, partially. You know what I mean, mm -hmm. um, our little girl human's name is Sphinx. Ah, I love that name. I freaking love that name. Sphinx mm. Lazuli Lael. I love her name. So we created that time, and then afterwards we just went back to scheduling, you know? So obviously anytime she needed, you know, um, Snow, uh, that's, that's my, my lady, anytime she needed anything, I had to be ready, like immediately. I mean, there was, there was zero room for selfish. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But because we split the baby time, there were times when I take her and she got to just rest or be easy or chill or, or, you know, think about drawing or whatever. She couldn't paint because she was breastfeeding and she didn't want to mess up herself and, you know, all these other things. She's an oil painter um, and graphic designer and all these things. So we basically regimented it. We scheduled it. And because we had one child and because our child was really, really, we got super lucky, um, I think a chunk of it, you know, one of my friends broke it down. He was like, dude, that was not luck. Like, y'all set the container. And one of the things he said to me that blew my mind, his name is Substantial, badass MC, hip-hop head. Shout out. Uh, he said, you were both happy with who you were before you had her. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So you set the container for this child to come into. That's not luck, Doc. Like, y'all did that, you know? <laughs> and it was really profound. It was really, really profound. Because he said it to me during a time when I was like, I am tripping off of how good our child is. Like, people are coming over to our house, and they're like, you don't look haggard. <laughs> you don't look like you're losing your minds. How is that even possible? And we're just like, uh, I, I, she's just really good. I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> she only cries when she really needs some shit, and um, that's it. That kind of otherwise she's just a baby, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> but we also got the um, uh, uh, the, the, what's the name of that thing? I will recommend for the rest of my life. I totally don't care. What's the name of that? Uh, Happiest Baby on the Block. We had a CD called Happiest Baby on the Block, a DVD. I strongly urge every new parent. Every single solitary one to get that flipping CD. He's, you know, he's got a couple. It's this dude, and I'm not especially fond of him, but he had some really, really <laughs> cool, cool practices, and and it was especially empowering for me as a father because most papas, we don't have breasts, right? And that's the magic freaking elixir thing that'll just calm anything, pretty much ever. Um, but it gave me tools such that anything. Outside of hunger, I could handle. If it was hunger, it's all up to you. you know what I mean, but anything outside of that, I could totally handle. And and it was hugely empowering, hugely. Um, and it was cool for her too because she could legitimately leave the baby with me and not feel like she had to have her 100% of the time. You know what I mean, you know. And again, what contributes to that is that both of us are self-employed, so we're home all the time. Yeah, you know I mean, so. We are both with her all the time, and we just get to switch off. Schedule, 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 schedule. So the biggest way we did it was scheduling. And and whenever I needed like needed a call or whatever, then she would take the baby, you know. So that's kind of how we worked it up. That's rad. You gotta balance. You gotta um, have each other's back when you have kids. Absolutely. And there's it was it was really important that there were two of us. You know, like I I feel like after having her, like she's two in a couple months now. And I have an entirely new, deep-seated, and thoroughly profound respect in, in two categories. One is for any woman who's ever had a baby, period, and lived, like for real. Because birth, birth is a whole nother level. So many women around the world have babies all the time, so often, that we as a people, including other women, take for granted just how powerfully profound the act, the miracle of giving birth actually is. There is nothing, nothing in human experience that can come close to that experience. Nothing, man. Men have jack, we have zip, we have nothing that comes close to that. <laughs> you know, and it's not a denigrating thing. It's just a fact, dog. Like men do not have. There's nothing in our in our experience that comes anywhere near giving birth to a child. Nothing. And sitting through that, and like walking her through contract, talking her through contractions, like having her grip my arm and staring at my man. That was in fucking tense. I will not even <laughs> take out the curse word. Like that was intense. It was intense. And at the end of it, I wanted to like strangle Mother Nature for creating a system that would have it be that damnably hard for somebody to freaking give birth. Like what? Anyway, that's a that's another thing. <laughs> but that being said, so I have a profound respect for any woman who's having a birth and I also have a, a deeper-seated understanding, compassion, and respect for single parents, mothers and fathers, because we have like a golden child. We have like a friggin' Buddha baby is what we call her, and it's still difficult. I can only imagine what it's like to, to, to not have a Buddha baby and be alone. Like, what? The amount of, man, just 
just, wow. So even parents that I think are horrible and, you know, they've done bad jobs with the kid. Like, truthfully, if you're doing it alone, I, I, I'm i not going to say I condone it, but I understand on a level that's a lot deeper now that I, I'm, I'm dealing with my own child. And like I said, we have an amazing one, like amazing. And she's still difficult at times. So I can just only and I have a beautiful partner and we have a beautiful relationship. Yeah, you know I mean, the, you know, three things that many people, many, many people who are raising kids don't have. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm absolutely aware of how blessed we are. And I'm thoroughly grateful for what we have and what we've created. And I'm admiring and respectful and compassionate for a lot of the parents that don't have that, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. There was a song written in flesh, written in breath, written in mesh, and meshed intertwined. We sang alone. The line of your spine is a song. All of flesh, all of cells, they're under governments where passion dwells, and sometimes you can stare into the heart of it. You can understand. What the start of it came from Arteries and drums Broken up into spaces And the spaces know when you come It's a synergy Let's give something back to the listeners In like form of advice Do you think that You know, you always know this question You know, it, I'm sure it always comes The advice <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if there is anything that you could offer some seeds of knowledge to other artists out there or young people starting out, uh, what what could you give? That's a good question. I got several. The first piece would be, I invite you to never let anyone tell you how many things you can be good at. I think that's huge. Um there's a bunch of people who will tell you stick to one thing. And I think that that's, sometimes it's coming from a good place. They have your best intentions at heart. They don't want you to get scattered. And not everyone is good at juggling more than one thing. But if you are called, if you are passionate about more than one thing, and if you know in your heart that you may not be good at it right now, but you could be, and you would be if you put in the time, then do that. And don't let anyone, anyone, anyone tell you, not to tell you it's impossible, tell you you can't, or let them tell you and then prove them wrong mm-hmm. and, and, and love it, love every minute of it. I think that's huge. That, that would be the, the first piece that I'd give. <sighs> Second piece. This is less for artists uh, alone and more for everybody, period, but artists in particular because we tend to be some of the stranger birds, right? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I invite you, because I'm always ready to say, don't let, but let me just, I invite you to consider practicing being 100% yourself 100% of the time. What I mean by that is that in this society, in this culture, we have been socially conditioned to hide some of the best parts of ourselves, to hold them back like treasure. And we only divvy them out. We only give them to people who've proven themselves, who, who we've let into our inner circle 
and they get to see the real us. They get to see the aspects of us, our vulnerability, our shyness, our whatever, the, the, the beauty, the gorgeousness, our crying, our tears, the things that touch us. They get to see it. And only those people, those select few. But what you have to understand is that the entire rest of the time, those parts of you are agonizing. You're drowning them. You're drying them out. You're, you're letting them wither because you're holding them back. You're holding yourself back from being yourself most of the time. It's like spending your entire week. It's like spending five days of the week looking forward to the last two. So come Monday, you're, you're already looking forward to Friday because that's the way you've set your life up so that three quarters of your life is like wasted. It's the same thing when you hide yourself from people and as artists we do that all the time because we're sensitive and nuts and crazy and fucking whatever but that's us that's you <laughs> so be that and i'm not saying go you know freaking emo extra overkill but i am saying <laughs> <laughs> but i am saying that like if if you're moved in a moment then be moved and if part of that movement might show up as tears then let them come and don't be so quick to like wipe your face off and scrub the tears away. Like that's some kind of sign of weakness. It's a sign that you were moved. If 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 you're in a in a, a moment when somebody compliments your art, don't be so quick to 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 brush it aside. Don't be so self-effacing. Don't think that that's honorable. Don't think that it's noble to not take thanks when it's given. To not take gratitude. To not take accolades. To not take compliments. Like your art is affecting someone and they're giving you the gift of letting you know. So give them the gift of gratitude for them letting you know. That's the, that's the next piece. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Let me think. Maybe I will. Maybe one more. Maybe one more. Yes, um, please. Can we just do however many? <laughs> hell yeah. Okay. Because like I said, I'm in, one of the things I have is an empowerment coach. So I actually have a ton of these. Let's do Another, it. <laughs> Another piece would be, oh, and this is a huge one. This is specifically for my artists, for all y'all artists out there. Yeah. Every one of y'all. Okay, here's the deal. You listening? Okay, good. All right, listen up. Here we go. Your art, if you have any art that you have poured any parts of yourself into, we frequently hear the term and the notion of we are our own worst critics. Many of us agree with that. Many of us are that, whatever. Part of what we do with that, one of the side effects, is that we put our art out there and everybody who is impacted positively, I'm not talking about the haters, but everybody who's impacted positively from that gets to bask in whatever it is they're taking from your art. And we as the artists are sometimes the only people who don't get to bask because we cut ourselves off from it by being such horrible critics of ourselves. So the, the piece of advice is to, I invite you, hi, I invite you to allow yourself to be moved by you. I, I offer, I invite you to allow yourself the same freedom to bask in the joy and the inspiration that your work is bringing to other people, being the one who created the work in the first place. We 
frequently look outside ourselves for inspiration, especially as artists. We frequently, you know, when when we finish a project, we're like, oh, I need I need a I need a new whatever, a new muse, a new inspiration, a new place. So we'll go out and we'll search or we'll look or we'll get depressed. And we'll think the muse has deserted us again and we'll wait for that spark. And what we don't understand is that we can be our own greatest sustainable energy source. Like if you've ever put anything, and I, you know, I know some artists who hate their work, like they hate it. And I'm just like, I don't understand that because I refuse to do any work I hate. How about that? But anyway, um, <laughs> makes no sense to me. But, you know, but the, it's almost like they're like the minute I enjoy my work or the minute I, I think I've done something good, I'm settling. I've stopped. I, there's, I can't get better. What are you talking about? Are you what? What? That makes zero sense if you actually stop and think about it. So my advice to all of you is, yes, push. Yes, recognize that there's a long way to go. But never, ever hesitate to celebrate where you've already come from, what you have done. Celebrate the hell out of it and be inspired by it such that you don't need external inspiration. You can get it. And, and by all means, get as much of it as you possibly can and want. But if ever you find yourself where the external well is dry, your internal should never be dry. Because you're the artist. You've given the art. You've created it. So you get to tap into what that art evokes in you. And if it evokes nothing, to me, that means you didn't put anything into it. It's got to evoke something, dog. Like, don't even lie to yourself. <laughs> See, that's the advice from the friggin' Micah Blacklight corner over here. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Thank you. I'm in the neighborhood. Or I'm always home. See, I've had to make my home. Ever since I left my home This is your soapbox moment. If you had one thing that you could say to the entire world, and this is your forum, what would you what would you want to say? What ideas, stories, insights, um, fears, hopes, dreams? Know that we are almost never alone. And it's a paradox because ultimately we are. Uh, ultimately you got you. You have you. That's that's what you got. You know, you can have a partner, you can have a baby, you can have whatever. But the point is you have you. You are the only one who is always going to be in your head no matter what. Um, so in that way, you're alone. But outside of that, there is almost nothing you could experience that someone else isn't experiencing their version of, like almost nothing. Negative, positive, horrible, amazing. There's somebody, most likely there's somebody's out there who are, who are going through their version of it. So the soapbox moment would basically be a, a sort of recognition of just how connected we are. You've heard people say we are all one and it can resonate or not. It can sound woo or not or whatever. But 
I feel like with this 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 social media and this internet and the ways that we are con- the ways that it can show us it's illuminating just how connected we are and truthfully I feel like it's creating connections that did not necessarily exist in the past because we could literally be isolated in the past right like there's people in remote villages who have Wi-Fi now and what that means isn't that like oh they're the savages are connecting with civil no what it means is that Almost anyone can connect with almost anyone else and it doesn't distance physical distance is no longer nearly as much of a factor as it used to be. So we used to be the, the weirdos and the and the outcasts and the deviants, right? They were they were alone. They were in their little villages or in their little nooks or corners or even in the middle of the city, but they didn't know that there were others out there like them. They thought they were the only ones who felt a certain way, who were moved by certain things, who were aroused by certain things, who were turned off by certain things, right? Um, or who just didn't think certain things were right. People who grow up in, in hardcore, strict religious places or whatever. And now, with this thing we call the net, you just type in a question. Am I the only one who did it? And somebody else has asked that question. Somebody else, there's a bunch of somebodies who have formed whole communities of people who are asking that question. There's people who have the same tweaks and quirks and weirdnesses. And maybe they don't have the same, but they're coming from the same place. And the, the whole point is that we can use these tools to isolate ourselves or we can use these tools to connect. And the fact that we can connect means that we are connected. And the fact that you are literally a few button clicks, a few a few transistors, a few flipping Wi-Fi stations away from the world is massive. Understand that the world is bigger than your head. It's bigger than your room. It's bigger than your family. It's bigger than your village. And even if that is what you've been taught to know as your world, recognize that it is not, and precisely because it is not, anything becomes possible. That's that's what I got for you. Thank you. Anything that you want to add or say, or like any anything I didn't touch on that you're really um, interested in, and as far as your work goes, or projects that you want to talk about. Um, <sighs> I mean, a little tiny something. Okay. Uh, first off, I just want to give a gigantic, enormous, hugely gratitudinal filled thanks to uh, Ginger Donald because she's, uh, she's making this possible. She's making these podcasts possible and she's speaking to people that she finds interesting that the rest of the world finds interesting in some way, shape, or form and possibly resonates with some of the stuff they got to say. I'm grateful that I get to be one of those people. Feels really good. So that's the first thing I want to say, Ginger. It's an honor. Thank you. Feels good. Feels yeah. good. Um, second thing is, um, the like, like I said, the book is Cult of the Serpentari. It's out. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes & Noble's Elora's Cave. That's the original um, publisher. And I actually sell signed copies ha ha um and (laughs) ginger will have that link up on the um on her site with the little blinky somewhere um i very much so welcome the feedback i very much so welcome and encourage anyone who reads it uh to go on amazon whether you bought it from there or not go on amazon and leave a review um because right now those those things matter now um, I'm already working on the sequel. I'm working on some other projects I'm not allowed to talk about. Ha <laughs> ha! Secret. Um, and and it's all just huge. But but every single review, specifically the positive ones, but truthfully, even leave it if it's negative. I don't care. I want to know what you think. They all contribute to 
the the growing cult that is the cult of the Serpentari and the people who've been exposed to it. So that's the, the second thing. And the last thing I'd say is that I am really grateful that there's so many people who are less privileged than I am, right? Like I am a, a black dreadlocked male father partner, which is all kinds of strikes depending on where I'm at, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. Um, can be a lot. And, and, and I'm living in a country where black males are the subject of a whole lot of negativity um, in a bunch of different ways and perpetrated by a bunch of different people, including other black males. Um, but that, that being said, I'm privileged as all hell because I have access to tech and because I'm literate and because I can read and because that alone unlocks all kinds of freedoms that a lot of people don't have. So I just want to put out there the fact that I live in gratitude, I swim in it, and I encourage all of you listening to recognize just how blessed you are. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're capable of hearing it, then there's a certain level of privilege that's coming along with it, like seriously. Mm. Um, and it's just to recognize that. I invite you and encourage you to recognize that. And you don't necessarily have to be falsely optimistic and everything is great because I have life and love. And No, but, but that is huge. <laughs> don't get it twisted. There's people who can't get up. Literally, there's people who can't hear. There's people who can't speak. There's people who, if they do speak, they will be disappeared off the street. There's people who, have, who are being disappeared right now, right? So just recognize how blessed you are. I just want to put that out. And, and that's what I got. Thank you so much, Ginger. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, When the speakers talk, mm-hmm. elementals on the woods and trees, bringing laid back seat to the inner cities, silver rights in the Brooklyn streets. All life's meaning here, gather, please. We all sit back and discuss the day. Here on a platter of organics, and it's all homemade. Giving thanks to the earth for the birth of us, like the most of us are trying to rumor us. And our winds spin our message all across the waves. We're seeing the future we're creating today. We're seeing the future we're creating today.
Oh, my God. 